Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. And don't hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He's your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandro Lucetic. And today we're talking 2004's Secret Window. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you have already seen the movie. And Sandro, before we get into today's episode, I would just like, I, I, I'd love, not like, I would love to give a massive thank you and a shout out to Josh Griffey uh, at the Film Alchemist podcast for having me on. We recently talked about Glory Days, uh, one of my favorite movies and uh, one he had never seen before. Um, I'd listened to the Film Alchemist for quite a while and him providing the opportunity for me to go onto his platform and have a wonderful conversation was an absolutely amazing experience. Um, recently, uh, he and his co-host Andino, uh, for the month of damn dirty April covered the original planet of the apes series. And it's laugh out loud, hilarious, highly recommend everyone check out the film alchemist. It was such a fun time being on there and hopefully we'll be working together in the future. Sandro, I need you to talk to Griffey. He's such a wonderful human being. And it, it, it feels like you've known him for years as soon as he starts talking. it's a, it's a He's just such a great character. But again, thank you so much, Griffey. That was a really fun time. We'll work together down the road. And hopefully I won't have to subject you to something like Secret Window. <laughs> uh, honestly, I listened to the episode. And my involvement didn't go beyond just kind of setting up the guest appearance. But the episode was phenomenal. Listening to you two talk about that movie made me kind of forget how much I dislike that movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. I don't know what you're talking about, man. For anybody wondering, we reviewed that movie all the way back in episode two. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was a terrible episode, though. We, we were just starting out, didn't have format or anything, no structure whatsoever. No. So it's probably you complaining and me trying to justify why I thought it was good. <laughs> uh, it's necessary growing pains with a podcast. We had to find a format, but I still say people should check it out. Uh, though we're not here to talk about Glory Days or The Film Alchemist. We are here to talk about The Secret Window, which was one of my selections. Yeah, and why? Why was that on your list? I don't know. Just I have something... a list. I have a list of movies on my phone that I I just want to potentially review, and some of them are because I've always wanted to see them. Others are oh, I randomly caught a trailer and it looked kind of interesting, and this one falls under that category. I saw the trailer. The trailer did enough to hook my attention. And I was like, okay, I, I kind of want to see that one. So there we are. Do you remember the trailer at all? Well, I saw it recently. I think when I was doing um, research for one of my quiz games, mm -hmm. uh, and I linked from one person's you know, IMDb on one film to another, and I was just following Johnny Depp, and I saw that on the list. And I was like, oh, okay, let me, uh, let me reintroduce myself to the trailer. And that's when I was like, oh. Okay, I do want to see this one. Do you think that the trailer accurately represents the film that we got? I think it accurately represents the mystery that the film is trying to elicit. Uh-huh. And 
that was good enough for me. Okay. From I, a trailer standpoint, like it, it did the job in that I didn't feel like I was misled, but I also feel like its intention was delivered because it doesn't want you to quite know what you're in for. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it recently, but from what I remember, it almost plays up a, a supernatural element that doesn't exist in the film. And I think it's because it uses a nightmare sequence. Which they do have some of these nightmare sequences in the movie, which we definitely need to touch up. Uh, yeah, touch but, on. but we're aware they're nightmares in the film, whereas in the trailer, we're just getting these visuals. Correct. So, I definitely thought that this movie had a much more supernatural element from the get-go, which is not the case. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a dark movie. We'll, we'll, we'll say that for sure. It's, um, I don't know if I'd even say it's fun. Um, so I can hear birds chirping in the background on your end. Yeah, and, I got the window uh, open. It's a beautiful day here. That's amazing. Beautiful day here as well. Hear the cardinals going away in the in the background. But um, it's interesting juxtaposition to the tone, the story, and the overall feeling of this movie, which I am impressed at how dark this film really is. And I know it's a Stephen King work, so he's always dark, foreboding, and whatnot. But normally Stephen King adaptations are trash. <laughs> <laughs> But that is another element of why I picked this movie is because I know that you are a Stephen King fan. I am. I don't know why I am because I, <laughs> I complain about him more than I praise him. But there are certain things that he does that I really love. Um, it's one of your guilty pleasures. It is. But one thing he is always a victim of is not knowing how to finish a story. Okay. And that's why I love the main element of the story the plot what what starts everything off is you stole my story you changed my ending my ending was better than yours <laughs> is he talking to himself <laughs> that's a question right uh, no i think he's too proud to do that but i think he he wrote himself into a corner there where everybody who likes to critique him is like see even you're saying it now <laughs> you don't know how to write endings. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, one, of, one of countless film adaptations. I would say one of the best. Does okay. that make it a great film? No. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So before we play your game, Sandro. Sure thing. One question for you. Okie dokie. Uh, the director is also the screenwriter. Okay. I've mentioned his name before, David Kep. We have covered one of his movies previously. Okay. Do you know which one it is? No, sir. Here's a hint. It has two different titles. Two different titles. It can't be Dark Angel, is it? It is Dark Angel. <laughs> or also known as I Come in Peace. Exactly. That's how I know it. I Come in Peace. Um, these are not the same type of movie. At all. I know. And that just goes <laughs> to show how diverse David Kep can be. And while we've covered the insane amount of screenplays he's written, he's all over the fucking place. I love seeing him be able to direct different styles of films as well. Uh, uh, hats off, David Kep. Well done. 
So I have a question for you before we get to my game. <laughs> okay. Have you ever read the Stephen King uh, story that this is adapted from? Uh, secret Window, Secret Garden? Uh, I have. I do not remember it. Okay, fair enough. I just didn't know if you were going into the movie completely new slash fresh or whatever you want to call it like I was, or if you had previous, uh, you know, expectations. Uh, I did have previous expectations, but that's because I've seen the movie numerous times. Uh, I've only read the story once and it was so long ago that I, I've forgotten everything about it, except the ending is slightly different. Okay. All right. So let's get into my game then. Yep. Who in this movie has appeared in episodes of our show before? Well, I fucked up on Nightmare on Elm Street with Johnny Depp. So Johnny Depp, Nightmare on Elm Street, and The Ninth Gate. Yeah. Um, I don't believe we've covered anything with John Turturro before. Correct. Timothy Hutton, I don't remember, but it's possible because he pops up randomly. But I'm going to say no. Correct. Then Charles S. Dutton. I feel like he's been in every film ever made. So I'm going to say we've definitely covered him before in what I don't know. Uh, we have not. Perfect. Is it only Johnny Depp? No. It's not Maria Bello, is it? No. I have no fucking idea then. <laughs> Who? Who else? Uh, Vlasta Vrana? The fuck I've... is that? <laughs> uh, I actually forgot to check who he is in this. Give me one second here. Vlasta Vrania, I, I can't pronounce this. I don't know if it's correct or not. Was Fire Chief uh, Wickersham, Wickersham. Okay. So not a major role by any means. Fine. Uh, what what was... else is he in? He was a he was Frank in Brain Scan. Frank. Uh, Frank was uh, the partner. Oh, yeah. So not a major role, but uh, was it Langella? Yeah. Uh, was the police chief? Yeah, in that one? yeah. I remember you talking about now. Fuck, man, that was a great movie. I need to watch it again soon. <laughs> sure. So that's the game. We can move on to uh, the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, immediately, I, I I love the cold open. We get the sound of the windshield wipers swiping back and forth, and then the reveal of Mort Rainey, played by Johnny Depp, in the driver's seat of his parked car. Uh, his inner monologue demanding he turn around. Uh, sets the tone, I would say. Does it ever? Uh, does it? Does the film maintain that tone? Uh, debatable. <laughs> um, he, he does he does turn around the car at first but then goes back steals a motel room key and heads to a room storming in catching his wife and uh, an unknown man at that time in bed uh, first off a really interesting look for Depp the bleached hair glasses toque uh, haven't seen him like that before but it it works for this character I find Oh, this is absolutely this character. Unkempt uh, artist, if yeah. you want to call a writer an artist, just kind of doesn't care so much about his own appearance because it's more about his works. Yeah, and we see that more and more throughout the film, and I love it. I love that element. So 
we cut to the credit sequence and it immediately presents us with the main setting of the film, the cabin on the lake. And it is beautiful. I love it. A classic scenario. Um, the score here is giving mad Cape fear vibes, which is never a bad thing. Uh, it's ominous. It's haunting, foreboding, sinister, but this is a character that we're supposed to identify with and sympathize with. So while I love the setup, it doesn't really match the character that's living within it for me. I don't know if that makes sense. But we get Mort sleeping on the couch. He's awakened by a pounding on the door. Uh, before we get to the door, though, what you said about being unkept and everything, look at Mort's bathrobe that he's wearing. He's oh, just sleeping. It's tattered and just in terrible shape. It's like missing a shoulder and the armpit. And I love I love these details. And we see them throughout the film. Um, costume designer, set decorator, great job. But I didn't get the impression that the, the rope was unkempt so much as it was perhaps like a comfort item. You know, something you had for a really long time. Everybody's got that. You know, even think of like a, a, like a blanket for a child. Security or blanket. Like yeah, like... Yeah. I didn't necessarily attribute it to that. I thought, oh, this rope is just an extension of him at this point. Well, I did, because I have a note right here. Do you have a piece of clothing that you just will not get rid of? Yes. And what is it and why? Uh, it's my old high school basketball hoodie with my name on the back and my number on the sleeve. No matter how big I get in <laughs> comparison to my playing days, that's a lot. Um, I, I just will not get rid of it. It's, uh, it's too fond of my days of playing basketball, which was probably the height of my career. Sentimental value. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't get that from, uh, Mort's robe, but we have to assume it, right? It's we, we imply it ourselves that that's what this is for me. I have a Slayer hoodie that I will never get rid of. It's tattered. The cuffs are, are ragged. There's a, a hole in the hood, but it's my, it's my writing sweater. So I'll, I'll never get rid of it. Fair. I think there's a lot of assumptions we have to make at this point in the movie. At, at this point? Yes. <laughs> Throughout. Uh, <laughs> I actually thought that this was a flashback. Interesting. So we find out later that, and I don't know if maybe you found out immediately, it took me a little bit to catch on, that this motel scene that we open up to is the present day. And this time jump that we have, which we find out later is a, a jump forward, is actually a jump backwards to kind of bring us to how he got to this motel room. Because in my mind, he, I'm like, he's going to go into that room and he's just going to kill them both. But we're going to find out why. Oh, so you got them in reverse. Yeah. Like I okay. thought that, yeah, I thought we were going to be building up to what led to this motel room. Because the way they start the movie... Makes me feel like this motel scene, which is absolutely a catalyst to his uh, current, uh, what do we call it, uh, path. Yeah. But I thought that it was actually going to be the end of his journey. Okay, so you thought that we were just missing the, like, one month earlier card. Correct. Okay, interesting. That would definitely put a different spin on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's who's the guy pounding on the, on the, the door? Why is he there? I don't know. Yes, you do. Who is the guy? I just asked you that question. <laughs> There's no one at the door, man. 
Okay. Okay, what? Go along with the story. Don't ruin the entire plot already. <laughs> well, I I know we say, if you, you know, we assume you've seen this one. You should absolutely see this one before I say this. But it is, uh, it is, what's his, uh, Shooter? John Souls. Shooter. I'll, I'll just say Shooter for now. And <laughs> we'll let the reveal come in time. Okay. Well, I mean, you've already ruined it, so... Um, yeah, John Shooter, tall, lanky man, standing outside uh, Mort's cabin. Uh, Mort answers the door, and all we get from Shooter is him exclaiming, you stole my story. In a very haunting one-line performance right away, John Turturro captured my attention. He's so good. Yeah. He's like commanding, disturbing, convincing which is the most terrifying part of it. It's just, it's such a great interaction. Yeah. It's kind of funny. The first time I remember ever seeing this actor was playing the crazy butler in Mr. Deeds. And yeah, I, I think that'd be it for a lot of people. And, and I thought he was quite good there as well. He definitely has comedic chops. And then ever since, I constantly think when I see him in other movies... Man, this guy is so good. He's so wow. talented. He can do everything. And it's almost a shame that my first experience of him was, for lack of a better term, wasted on a comedy. Because this guy is just so good. Well, I think I think it's a great way to be introduced to him because your expectations are so low when you see him in that role. And in that role, he's very good. But when you see him in other roles like you know in barton fink honestly even in transformers you're like where's this guy been well he's been fucking everywhere you're just not watching the right movies yeah once you look at his imdb if you you know like me oh i've only seen him in mr deeds you look at his imdb and it's like wow this guy's been in everything yeah everything <laughs> like staple for the coen brothers but it, it, it's such a good interaction between Depp and Turturro. Even lines from, from Shooter like, we don't need any outsiders. This is strictly between you and me. So the whole premise here is that down on his luck, going through divorce, author Mort Rainey is being confronted by a complete stranger, accusing him of plagiarizing his story, Sewing Season. And now he's going to do something about it. Yeah, it is so different when you watch this movie on a second viewing. It really is. Because yeah. you hear a line like the one that you just referenced, we don't need anybody on the outside, this is between you and me, mm -hmm. has so much more weight when you know what that means. Yeah, and when making notes for a film uh, for the show, uh, I, I always do it on a, a second viewing that week. Um I really wish I had made notes for this film as I was watching it for the first time, because I would love to compare what I thought then versus what I know now. Yeah. And I'll never have that opportunity again because I saw it when it came out almost 20 years ago, but it sticks with you. It's, it's a very interesting story that sticks with you uh, overplayed maybe in recent years. And I think that's, that's a reason why this movie didn't hit for me as well as it used to, because 
we've, we've been conditioned lately to expect a twist because no one can rely on decent fucking storytelling anymore. You have I to gotta have say, as someone who gimmick. watched, as someone who watched this movie for the first time recently, that was my mentality the entire time is, can I spot out the twist? And I feel like I got it quite early. Yeah. But I don't think I would have had that mentality if I watched it when it was newer, because I really was, as you said, conditioned to look for a twist. And that's the thing. This movie was made when that wasn't the norm. So if you go into it, not having seen it before, but expecting a twist, you figured out the movie about halfway in. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's a shame. But 2004, watching this, wonderful. So, as, as I said, Shooter leaves a manuscript for sewing season, his story that he believes Mort plagiarized, leaves it on the deck, and leaves. So Mort reads the manuscript and is shocked by the similarities to his uh, own previously published story, Secret Window. Um, and we get a, a great bit about the use of pseudonyms. Um, the housekeeper found the writings in the trash and thought it was a mistake. Thought he was writing under a, a pen name, which Mort immediately denies having ever done. And I don't know if you know a lot about Stephen King, but he did write under another name for four novels. Well, five. Four immediately, and then a fifth one later on down the road. So he wrote under the pen name Richard Bachman. He wrote Rage, The Long Walk, Roadwork, and The Running Man. Uh, later on, he would write uh, The Regulators, which was a companion piece to Stephen King's story, um, Desperation. So there is a Stephen King book called The Dark, or I should say, like, Bachman books uh, were a lot more violent, a lot darker than Stephen King books, more visceral. Uh, in The Dark Half, Stephen King explores the relationship between the divide of uh, author and pen name in a more supernatural body horror method. Uh, and the lead actor who played both the protagonist and antagonist in that was played by Timothy Hutton, who we have in this movie as Ted. So I thought that was kind of a cool throwback. Um, so Mort continues to compare the texts and similarities are palpable. Sandra, we're only 13 minutes into the film. And even though I've seen this numerous times, I'm already hooked on the story again. Yeah, it's very, it's very intriguing. I want to say that the mystery of it just kind mm -hmm. of grips you, especially the first time through. You're just like, where is this going to go? It, it just, it feels so organic. Like nothing really seems forced. A lot of shit is thrown at us, which should be jarring. But for some reason, to me, it's not. Even like when Mort wakes up uh, to the pounding on the door, stumbles towards it, opens it up, hair's all messed up, eyes hardly open. He's not threatened. He's just confused as to why someone's pounding on his door. And it's only as the, the conversation progresses where he becomes offended, not scared ever, just annoyed. Like, this is exactly how any of us would react to the situation. And we don't normally get that in movies. But um, <laughs> I have one, one snide remark here that just says, sure, bring in the smoking habit as a coping mechanism. Like, I, I, I like it, but it goes against everything I just said, because then they hit us with smoking here, there, and everywhere throughout the movie. Brand versus brand. Uh, can I get you a pack of smokes? Oh, I don't smoke. Uh, 
I don't, I don't know. That is where I think the, the film starts to break up a bit for me. And like I said, we're only 13 minutes in. I'm hooked. I don't need this right now. Did, did the movie ever start to seem thin to you? Not at this point. No, no, I I really didn't put as much weight into the smoking thing as you. Um, it's just it's, because I was looking for shit as like a, a tell to a tell off of, of what was going on. But Mrs. Garvey, the the housekeeper, a uh, good addition or not? It's fine. I thought she was wonderful. Just peppered in here and there to, to lighten the mood. I don't know if she's real, but yeah, sure. That, that's a very good point. I never considered that. I mean, he, he doesn't do the best job cleaning his place, but uh, it's very possible that it doesn't actually get cleaned outside of his mind. So the nightmare sequence that we get next, where the door is violently shaking. Get out of here. What is this? You didn't like it, huh? I thought it was filmed well. I thought it got my interest. But if it doesn't ever end up having any purpose, why is it even in there? That's a very good question. Um, I think I have an answer for it, but it's kind of far-fetched. Okay. Um, I think this is for the people on the rewatch. Because I believe this is Shooter trying to break his way into Mort's consciousness. See, I figured it was going to be something symbolic because it really does feel like with all of his sleeping, that's when he becomes Shooter more than any other time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get certain things like the door shaking. There's one, I don't know if it's the same point or very shortly after that where he's like falling, um, almost like he's losing himself. But it just doesn't seem necessary Agreed. at all. Even with the story, as it gets revealed later with the twist, you're like, no, this still would have worked without this. All you did was make me think there was going to be more of a supernatural element. Yeah. I I find that the hints towards that that twist are plentiful and a detriment to the storytelling. I, I would much more appreciate a subtle one here and there and then have it explained to us at the end. I think that yeah. would have been a, so much more impactful. But uh, Mort's woken up by Amy's phone call, and I appreciate that she's that that then Amy's checking in on him. Uh, allows us to know that she's like caring. She, she's concerned about Mort. Uh, it gives us a hint that she left him for a legit reason or reasons without stating it outright. And then the bickering, all of which is instigated by Mort, who immediately regrets it. Um, so a question for you from what we've seen so far, is Mort a likable character? No. Interesting. Uh, why, why do you not like Mort? I I don't think you're supposed to like Mort. I think that he is supposed to come off as a severely flawed person who is quite bitter based on his situation of which I'm referring to his divorce, not Mm -hmm. his mental state. And that, at any point, if this movie was to go differently, it should have been a redemption story for him um, in regards to what sort of a protagonist he is. That's not the direction they go, but clearly 
he's done many things wrong and he just doesn't want to accept blame for any of it. And yeah. that's not very heroic as a protagonist at all. Well, I'm not saying he's a hero uh, by any means. I think he is supposed to be likable and that he's obviously fallible, but he's human and that, yeah, he, he, I don't think he doesn't want to confront life. I think he doesn't know how to, and he's afraid to, and he's mad at himself for not being able to. Yeah, and uh, in any other kind of story, that would be the kind of character that you watch their arc as they improve and learn these skills. Yes, but that doesn't make him dislikable. Hmm. I, 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 was, I knew that we would differ on this. I just didn't know where, so I wanted to bring it up. So we get the return of John Shooter. Um fun back and forth, but who wrote the story first? Um, quick drive-by and acknowledgement from neighbor Tom Greenleaf, which comes into play later. And that's... I, I, I don't like the inclusion of this character. It felt, it felt cheap to me. Because it's a, it's a cheap plot point later on that you don't need. Because you have Ken Karsh there already. You don't need Tom Greenleaf. Well, I think it's just meant to further their attempt at blurring the reality in this. Well, what it does is it's put there specifically to fool the viewers. Yes. And I, I think that's cheap. I, I, I hate when directors or writers put things in a film that don't need to be there. Well, here it kind of makes sense that he would drive by and wave, but you don't need it. It's not integral to the plot, the story whatsoever. It's just meant to throw us off so we won't figure what's going on. Okay, it happens a lot. I don't like it. Doesn't mean everybody hates it. But if that's the case, you're trying to throw us off, stop giving us so many fucking hints <laughs> as to what's going on. Because Tom Greenleaf or no, halfway in, we know exactly what's going on. See, but that's where I think we, again, disagree. In that I feel like the movie wants you at some points to believe that this is the twist and you know what's going to happen. And then other times have you self doubt that, that, um, that belief that you figured it out that, Oh, maybe there isn't a twist. Uh, I know the second time viewing it when Gl Greenleaf drives by the first time I watched the movie, I thought nothing of it. So oh, here's a, here's a, you know, a, a townsfolk or whatever that, will work as a bit of a witness. The second time through, having seen the ending, I watch it and I'm like, wow, I love the subtle wave that Shooter even gives Greenleaf here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Be because I feel like the movie wants you to kind of go back and forth. Interesting. I and don't, the not-so-subtle not so hints that reveal to you what the, the twist you think it is might almost be red herrings. This movie is full of red herrings. Yeah, and I think that it's intentionally doing it in multiple directions. Is is that successful? Is it good, though, to do that? Because it's like, Shooter's the villain. Wait, no, it's probably Mort. No, it's Shooter. It's probably Mort. No, wait, maybe it's Ted. No, it's definitely Mort. Oh, it could be Shooter. No, probably Ted again. It's just... So back and forth, it, to me, it was frustrating. Well, t Ted is the, I don't know what you would call it, boyfriend? 
Yeah. Amy's boyfriend. At no point when we get to that part of the movie did I think he was responsible for it. No. I, <laughs> I will I will take the stand right now that I think Ted is in the right almost the entire time. Well, yeah, but but he's played up like a villain. <laughs> it's it's a very manipulative film. Yes. Yeah. Yes it is. And I'm not speaking to the the value or the accuracy of that. Yeah, I'm just saying that I feel like that is the movie's intention, right or wrong. I think that yeah. that's actually what it's going for. Okay, uh, I'll go with you on that. I just, it, to me, to me at least, it's it's somewhat problematic. But back back to Shooter and Mort on the deck, um, the fun back and forth over who wrote the story first. Like I said, the drive by of Tom Greenleaf. Shooter says he wrote the story seven years previously, and the two almost start to fight when Mort reveals that his story was published in a magazine two years before that. Uh, surprisingly heated back and forth. And I really thought there was going to be a physical altercation here, but shooter gives Mort three days to produce the magazine. Okay. So we get like a cool down period. Uh, do you remember what happens uh, that night? This is another one of the dream sequences. No, he he wake. Well, he does have a dream sequence, but what happens after Mort wakes up from that nightmare? Um, so okay, he goes to get a glass of water, right? Yeah, and then he sees this letter out on the porch deck, whatever you want to call it. I, I didn't see the outside of the building well enough to to see hanging there, and it essentially says like, "Don't involve the police." Yeah, and there's a sheet covering something. I don't. I don't want to say what. I'll, I'll say it. Um, if you go to the website, does the dog die? This movie is on that list. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's bad. We'll leave it at that. There, um, his dog, who is probably the most likable character in the movie thus far. Chico. Was stabbed in the head with a screwdriver. Yeah. And left under a sheet on that deck as a warning. Yeah. I, I do want to touch on something almost entirely pointless and maybe not even worth mentioning, but it bothered me. Bothered oh, that's me. what I do every episode. When he sees the letter out on the porch deck, he puts his glass down, his glass of water, mm -hmm. and it's half hanging off of the counter. Okay. And the whole time I'm like, oh, man. What's that going to do? Is it going to fall down and it's going to get his attention? It never does anything. Just puts it on the edge of the counter. And the camera even gives us like a, a shot from down below looking at the glass up hanging off the counter. Mm -hmm. It never comes up. Why do you yep. do this? <laughs> this doesn't lead me to a twist in the movie at all. This just pisses me off. <laughs> see, see, I liked it. But why? Why'd you do it? <laughs> <laughs> the movie is supposed to make you feel uneasy, and that obviously really worked for you. Well, yeah, but not at this point. At this point, it just made me pissed off. Yeah. Uh, so what, what What? do we do next? Uh, well, the sign says, don't go to the police. So see, naturally, the next scene is him talking to the sheriff. Well, what, what the fuck would you do, man? It's like, don't go to the police. Why? Because if I go to the police, 
then they'll be paying attention to what's going on at my house. I have a dead dog now that was murdered with a screwdriver. If I don't go to the police, what stops you from coming back? I get that mentality. But cut to the big city. Mort breaks things down to his private investigator, Ken Karsh, played by Charles Dutton. Yeah, investigator, uh, bodyguard. I'm not exactly sure I, what his job is, but... Yeah. Um, hired goon. Do you find it weird that both this guy and the sheriff make jokes about shooter killing Chico? Yeah, it's... Um, it's weird. It's kind of heartless. Yeah. <laughs> it's a poor dog. But, like, even... Uh, was it... Car- or, no, it was the sheriff. He's like, oh, I guess he's more of a cat person. Yeah. Like, you fucking asshole, man. Yeah, yeah. Not, not digging that. So, for $500 a day, Ken agrees to stake out the cabin. And... Mort goes to get the magazine from Amy's because we're probably, he's on day two of three here, uh, but bails when he sees her with Ted. Um, grow the fuck up, Mort. Deal with your shit. There's no reason for this to be believable to me. No, I can understand him being hesitant to go back to their marital home in this <laughs> uh, kind of divorce period. But once your life has been threatened and your dog is dead, it's like, I'm just going to go and get that magazine. There's no level of trepidation because, oh no, (laughs) Ted is there. It's my life, dude. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it it never made sense to me. Even I remember seeing that the first time. I remember watching it and being like, why, why? There's so much more important shit going on in your life than being upset that your wife left you because you suck and she's with somebody else now. Go get the fucking magazine and deal with what's important now. Yeah. But that night we get a prolonged scene merely merely implemented for suspense, I guess. Like Ken checking the house. Then... He leaves. Mort thinks someone's still there. More investigation. This goes on for way too long. Um, and you you had said something earlier that you feel like there are so many long scenes in this movie. And there are. Do you find them effective? Not particularly. Yeah. Kind of a waste of time, right? The, the whole time that we have this scene, which I did kind of find it funny when he was sleeping in the car. Uh, because <laughs> yeah, at this point... I'm still kind of all over the place on, you know, is Shooter really there to accuse him of plagiarism? Is Johnny Depp out of his mind? I thought, oh, maybe maybe he's dead. Yeah, they do a good job. Because if I were to sleep in my fucking car, my head is going to be back on the headrest. I wouldn't be slumped forward on the steering wheel. (laughs) And the thing about it, too, is... A terrible private investigator, bodyguard, whatever. Because <laughs> he wakes up and he's like, I kind of already checked the place an hour ago and I've I've been asleep for 10 minutes. It's like, so check it again. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of chuckling this off. Like, ch- check it again. Somebody could have seen you asleep in the car and gone in. It, and more, he does. He goes in with him and he kind of looks around. But then he's just like, you want me to stick around? No, it's fine. Yes, stick around. I'm paying you yeah. $500 a day. 
You don't need to stay at a hotel. Stick around. <laughs> exactly. You're sleeping on the couch, man. Yeah. But like it's not like it's a tiny cottage cabin, whatever you want to call it. There's plenty of space. <laughs> um him rushing into the bathroom with the fire poker. Yeah. Effective or not? I loved it. Yeah, I kind of did too, but it seemed cheesy, man. It seemed really cheesy. Well, I didn't actually think that there was somebody there. That's pretty obvious, I think, to anybody when they're watching the movie that there's not going to be anybody there. But at this point, I thought, even if he's of, you know, normal mind and not completely psychotic, this could just be his paranoia, right? Yeah. Because even even a sane person or just a regularly adjusted person in this situation could be very much on edge, right? So it does happen. Yeah, I get that. But as soon as you bring mirrors into a movie like this, it all kind of goes downhill for me. Well, maybe you just need to reflect on the scene a little more. Oh, shut up. (laughs) That was a bad one. But no, like when he attacks... When he attacks the mirror, when he sees his own reflection, yeah. immediately now, now you just have to assume he's fucking crazy and that that's going to play part of the story. Uh, smashing the, the uh, shower door was, I thought, actually kind of funny, all because there was a mouth in, a mouse in there. Yeah. But I don't like the payoff overall. It's like the, the cat jump scare we've seen so many times before. It's always a cat. It's always but in this case, cat. it was a mouse. So it's not always a cat. <laughs> <laughs> this time it was a flaming rat. The Ray Liotta special. Oh, man. But, do you run or do you stay? <laughs> but then the reveal of Shooter outside. And again, the dynamic between these two is perfect. Um, can, you, call- can you get two better actors to do these scenes together? They I don't think so. so. They're so good. And it's a weird pairing that I don't think we've ever had before or since. And I would really love to see that because they play off of each other so well, man. So well. Uh, Shooter calls up Mort for not getting the magazine when he was at Amy's. How would he know without us knowing this twist? He's been following him. Everywhere? find that hard to believe. Yeah, well, he seems to keep popping up in places we don't expect at times we don't expect. Exactly. Well, here's something else, then. Okay. Now Shooter just wants Mort to fix the ending to the story. Uh Uh-huh. That's it. He wants his original ending revived. Well, I think kind of indirectly part of that would be that if, if Mort republished this movie with his ending and his name on it, it would essentially tell the world that he was wronged and that this was his story. Uh, maybe. Um, I, I think you're a little bit too far gone in your demands after you've already killed the dog. Yes. Uh, this should have been said much earlier, but because at this point I'd be like, you already killed my dog. If I'm right and you go away, my dog's still dead. Yes. However, the ending of Shooter's story is the ending of this film. Okay. 
Which is different than the ending of Stephen King's story. Well, because he doesn't know how to write endings. We've This whole movie is about Stephen King's inability to write an ending. But the thing is, he does revive the plagiarized, well, plagiarized quote, author's ending in the film world in that he plays out, he acts out Shooter's ending instead of, you know, admitting to plagiarism in the written word. So what you're saying is that Stephen King, when writing a book, has a split personality on how he should end it and generally goes with the wrong one. No, no, I'm saying Stephen King (laughs) murdered his wife and buried her in the garden out back. Oh, wouldn't that be the most obvious smoking bullet, uh, smoking gun? When was the last time anyone heard from Tabitha King? It's been a while. I didn't even Holy know that fuck, was her I name. hope she's alive. If she's dead, I'm sorry for any Stephen King fan. I don't remember. <laughs> I think she's okay. Uh, <laughs> so Mort attacks Shooter with a shovel. First real violence we've seen from Mort. Um, does it fit the character to you? I think so. I think much like the scene with him in the bathroom smashing the windows, his p- paranoia is getting him so backed up against a wall that he does have to resort to things he normally wouldn't. Yeah. And I like the term you use backed up against the wall because that's what shooter does to him and presses the shovel handle up against Mort's neck and lifts him off the ground. He's not strong enough to do this, but again, like I'm not going to nitpick this, but it's just, you, you can't not acknowledge the fact that this would not happen. So this is, this is all in, in, in Mort's head. So shooter friends, we'll see. Keep watching. Find out. No, you've already fucking spoiled it. <laughs> Why are you pretending otherwise? I've been trying and trying. You just nitpick and pick and pick. You're killing me, man. Oh, that's not me though. That's oh. other me. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> let me There's take a version this. of me that's very agreeable and never gives you a hard time. Yeah, let me take this hat off and I'll put down my. My ear of corn, and we'll uh, straighten this out. So Shooter threatens to kill Amy. No! (laughs) No spoilers. (laughs) It's all spoiled. I can't spoil anything else. By the way, Ted dies. See? Nobody cared. There are no spoilers here. The movie is very, very depressing at the end. Anyway, Shooter threatens to kill Amy the same way he killed Chico, and then another scenario with a chainsaw happens or is mentioned. Um, And it's getting way too over the top, man. Way too over the top for me. So uh, next morning, Mort gets a call from Amy telling him someone burned down the house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, I know, yeah, there's no way to get in the magazine now, but that went to a hundred right there. Um, How, how is Mort able to do all of this and no one notice well he created a molotov out of a champagne bottle and everybody knows he drinks jack daniels exactly makes perfect sense i guess so he arrives on scene and encounters amy and ted and then we get another flashback uh it, it, it's so heavy-handed sandro it the movie is just kind of running into the ground for me okay so, yeah, like you said the fire was started with Molotov. Um, we finally get some some time with Ted. Um, I said that I think Ted didn't really do anything wrong. 
Well, what what are your thoughts on this guy? I don't like him. He's a little aggressive. I understand yeah. that he's in a very tough situation, being kind of caught up between this couple going through a divorce. But not that I agree with with um, Mort too much either. But there are a few parts, especially with like the insurance scene, where it's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ted, you do need to give like a respectable amount of distance to what is going on here between these two. Yeah. He's a jerk. Yeah. He, he's not Mort a villain. He's a jerk back to him, so it's kind of a two-way street. Yeah. Um, jump ahead a little bit. Amy asks Mort if this was, like, the last time. And they don't really go into it, but basically Mort actually plagiarized another work and paid the guy off when he confronted him about it. I would have liked to see more of this. I, I think it's simply there just to indicate that if Mort felt that he did plagiarize this time, that he would just admit it or pay it off or something that his denial is sincere. Yes, I agree. And I don't, I don't want them to spend like 10 minutes on this. I just would like it to be more, direct and to the point because I think it would make the current situation a bit more believable. Yeah. At the same time, he didn't need to have this past transgression at all for us to believe that, oh, he's innocent of stealing the book because he just maybe never did actually plagiarize. Exactly. Um, it, It is. I understand its purpose, but I don't think it's necessary. Okay. Would you prefer that this little bit of story had been removed? Yeah, it's probably the biggest portion on the second viewing that I was like, just just take this out. You don't need this. Really? I, I oh wow, again, I feel completely different about it. I thought it it allowed me to doubt Mort even more. And I kind of kind of like he that. only paid the guy off the first time because he was like court assigned and he does have the mental capability of committing this type of fraud? I think it's because he knew that he it could be legally proven that he did plagiarize. And here he's like, oh, I know for a fact I didn't do it. Yes, I, I, I would if I had to, but I didn't this time. It, it makes me feel like Mort's more of an actual human being. Um. Because in all honesty, like we're all inspired by things we've encountered in the past, whether it's through like filmmaking or writing or or anything. Or other um, podcasts that or have other led podcasts. us to doing our own movie review podcast. Exactly. Or other podcasts that come out after ours that have very similar episode playlists, which I will not mention a name of. But I do like that they included that because it did make it feel like Mort was more of a, a realized character, like a, a human being to me, rather than just a character being played on screen. Anyway, so we get a full confrontation between Mort and Ted. Um, and I believe the most frustrating part about this is that Ted is completely reasonable. They're both jerks. I don't want to like either of them. Even though I started off liking Mort, it fell away pretty quickly. And I didn't want to like Ted, but he's being pretty realistic. So I'm frustrated because 
I've fallen out of favor with one character and ended up liking one I didn't want to. And Mort asks him where he's from. Uh, Tennessee, not Mississippi, like Mort suspected. But he's from a small town called Shooter's Bay. There's no way anybody watching this movie has not clued in at this point. Clued into what? I don't understand. God damn it, Sandro. What's up, buddy? <laughs> when? Okay. Tell me at what point you realized the ending. When did you know 100% how this movie was going to... Well, not the very ending, but the twist. How early in? Mm, I'm not, I don't actually remember when I thought that. I'm assuming it was pretty early on, though, right? It was relatively early, but... Yeah. No, I'm not sure. I it's, definitely it, never believed that it was Ted. <laughs> not no, even for a second. No. It's, it's shit like this, though, that it really irritates me because they're just playing this to death. And David Kep is such a good writer that he should know that this is too much. It's just too much. It's frustrating and it's insulting to the viewers because if you haven't figured out what's happening yet, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> If you haven't figured out what's going on yet, you haven't hit play on the movie yet. Exactly. Uh, so Mort and Ken talk on the phone that night. And a nice workaround of the magazine. Mort's agent had the original, so he's sending it their way, even though like the one he wanted had been burned in the fire. Um, the next bit I, I also have a problem with. That's Ken saying he talked to Tom Greenleaf, uh, he, who has no recollection of seeing Mort with Shooter. So, I don't get it. Why Why have that part included? Like, so you could say, like, yeah, I saw Mort. I don't know who the shooter guy is. They put a spin on it saying that shooter's probably intimidating Tom, which is highly doubtful. And Mort's so convinced that Ted is the villain, there's no way. There's absolutely no way that would be the reveal. So this goes back to why I was saying we don't need the Tom Greenleaf character in this because they bring him up again and it makes it an entire moot point. And then when we see him the third time, he's dead. But we don't need that body there because we also have Ken's body there. So I, I appreciate what you're saying about Shooter given that like subtle wave and, and seeming like a real character. But again, it's just swaying the audience to believe it without actually being important to the story fair I'm but you can't have you can't have no characters that could serve as potential witnesses i guess yeah I, i'm being really really hard on this movie so please feel free to tell me to stop no i'm totally fine with it because i think this movie more than anything it benefits from people having such different views on how when and how uh how and when they came to different conclusions yeah. Did you find it weird how focused Mort is on Ted? I didn't see him holding a camera. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> God damn it. It's just like to Mort, Ted is the worst person in the world. And, you know, Ted's the reason that his marriage ended. And I'm the whole time I'm just thinking, like, Amy left you because of you, dude. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, but that's how we get to the ending where he shoots them in the hotel room that the movie oh, jumped yeah, back to tell us about. That's how it plays out, all right. It could have. His obsession um, with Ted led to this murder. What this is leading us to is probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Alrighty. So, Mort and Ken had, had planned to confront Tom Greenleaf at the, the diner that Tom's always at at 9 a.m. in the morning. Mort wakes up over an hour late, can't find his car keys, goes outside, sees Shooter's hat on his front porch, and Mort's Jeep is parked in the yard, engine running, and door wide open. That's a perfect, tense scene right there. Yeah, and it, it makes you wonder what's going like, to be around the corner. Exactly. Uh, Mort gets into his Jeep. Uh, there's a Pall Mall cigarette in the ashtray, which is Shooter's brand of cigarettes. Love that detail. It's a mystery element that we need more of in this movie. I, I'm fucking done with your flashbacks. They, they just add to the mental fragility of our protagonist, which we already know he's suffering. So Mort questions a worker at the diner and finds out that Ken never actually showed up that morning. Uh, Where then, could he be? Exactly. He comes every day. <laughs> just falls asleep. He's actually, you see Mort leave the diner and Ken's just passed out on his steering wheel in the parking lot. <laughs> but uh, Mort encounters Ted at the gas station. And I'm like, okay, movie, this is all fine and well. I, I know Ted's in the right again, minus throwing a punch, but... <laughs> poorly <laughs> poorly it's yeah. not a guy who typically fights <laughs> and that's just it he intimidates through words and he's just an asshole but he's never been confronted he doesn't know how to fight luckily he's in this issue with mort who has probably also never been in a fight correct um later well, he on dodges that punch pretty well <laughs> yeah uh, something tells me that when confronted with anything, Mort will run away. And I think that's what adds to this break in uh, in his psyche, allowing Shooter to be this aggressive force. So Shooter calls Mort and arranges a meeting. And there he discovers the corpses of Ken and Tom Greenleaf and promptly passes out. Wakes up hours later to Shooter telling him how he framed Mort for the murders. And we get some great lines here from Shooter. Like, uh, almost pinned a note to you and decided not to because you scare too easy. I need to bring up Totoro's accent and the way he delivers his lines in this movie. Okay. Phenomenal. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I thought you were going to have something a little more in-depth than that. Oh, it's inspired by this or that. No, no, just oh, no. It's really good. It's so fucking captivating. <laughs> like I, I, I could listen to him say anything in that accent, and I'm like, yeah, and, and more, please. He's the character, so calm, calculated, disturbingly funny in a dark way. I just he's so perfectly cast. Um, and I think he's also one of the most intimidating villains that we've covered. You honestly don't know with this guy what what he's capable of or what direction he's going to go in at any point. Mm -hmm. like he's so unhinged and unpredictable. His but, motives are clear, but his actions are not. Yeah, he's so good. 
and like like I said, he's perfectly acted. Um, his method of dress and accent firmly place him as an outsider in this community. Uh, there's slight confusion on his face every time Mort tries to prove that he wrote the story first. Everything he says is very direct. No nonsense. It's specific and to a point. It's calculated. And one of my favorite things about this character is we're only led to believe that he is capable of extreme violence because we never see it. And obviously that's because he isn't the one doing it, but we've seen what we're supposed to believe he has done. And that makes us terrified of him. This is a very well-written villain. One of my favorites, I think that we've covered on this show so far. Uh, to take things in a little bit of a different direction, Sandro, I have okay. another question for you. Okay. If Mort did go to the police and ended up being arrested for those murders, would Shooter keep haunting him? Mm, I guess. You think? I don't know. I didn't expect you to have an answer. It's just something that popped into my head. And I'm like, there's no way they will ever try and <laughs> reference that because it goes nowhere. This is a very one way, like one direction film. We know where we're going from start to finish. We just don't know how many twists and turns are going to be along the way. I feel like if Johnny Depp's character was actually arrested, yeah. then he would have visions of Shooter visiting him in the prison cell. Mm -hmm. Or like outside of a window or, you know, something. <laughs> Cellmate. <laughs> <laughs> It's possible. It is possible. Just the prison guards will think that he's completely insane. Oh, he's talking to himself again. <laughs> Throw him in solitary. Throw him in. Shooters there. Wait well, that's a the beautiful thing this is, for this for is Mort. solitary. Yeah, this is the beautiful thing for Mort. He's never alone. No. He's a mog, half man, half dog. He's his own best friend. Thoughts on uh, Mort getting rid of the car as the body's inside of it? <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> He's terrible. That's Absolutely terrible. It's it's very well done in that they differentiate. Like Shooter is this cold, calculated, unreadable type of character who seems effective in what he does, even though we don't see it on camera. And then Mort is just bumbling through everything. Oh, yeah. And him losing his watch in the car as it goes over the cliff. Which never comes back. I know. I really <laughs> wanted it to. It's another like, one of those stupid scenes. It's like, all right, do something with it. Yeah, if that car is ever found, he's done. Yeah. He's completely done. And yeah, the movie seems to have a lot of setup with limited payoff, which is frustrating. Um, we get a weird story element next uh during an incredibly emotional phone call from amy uh saying do you think things would have been different if we didn't lose the baby we don't need this i have no idea what the intent or symbology or anything of this is all i can think of is that it's supposed to make us dislike mort even more because his reaction to that is to get angry and then to start talking about Ted. 
like there are so many signs already to lead us to believe that Mort's crazy, and this is just another one. And Amy talking to himself at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, Amy gives us multiple valid reasons for her leaving him, and that's another thing. Why hasn't? Why won't Mort sign those divorce papers? That's all they've been trying to get him to do, and he just won't do it. He's sad. He doesn't want it. He won't accept it. Nothing is going to go back the way it was. He wants his wife back. Well, fucking grow up, man. (laughs) It's not me. Grow the fuck up, Mort. (laughs) Sometimes life's not fair. And you know what? Sometimes life is very fair to the assholes. Like, you're going to get what you deserve, man. So Amy decides to go to the cabin and to finally get him to sign those papers, which uh, might not have been the best idea. Uh, Mort gets the magazine from the post office and paranoia has taken full hold at this point. Do you think this is necessary? Uh, his, uh, his back and forth with, uh, with the girl working at the post office desk. Not Do really. Do you even remember it? Yeah, no, I remember she is a little bit concerned about his behavior. He's very standoffish. When he leaves, she's like, oh, he's cute, you know, but what's the point of it all? Yeah, because she was saying, like, you're not going to tell UPS that we've been handling their mail because they're not supposed to. It's the U.S. Postal Service, not UPS. Uh, And he says, no, he'd never do that. And she says, good, because I saw what you did. But actually, she had said, they'd shoot me if you did. So he's... He's just hearing things now. And his evasion of the sheriff keeps building this. So a frustrated Ted decides to follow Amy to Mort's cabin. Uh, Mort opens the package. And what? how do you feel about this scene? What he discovers when he opens the magazine? He discovers that the page had been ripped out. Yeah. Which, the whole time I'm thinking, and... Mm-hmm. You were trying to prove to Shooter that your thing was published first. You have the table of contents. That alone is enough to show that it was published at that time. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they, they dropped the ball here. Also, how, how could it have happened that the pages were removed? Well, he removed them, obviously. Exactly. But we're not supposed to believe that yet. Well, because the, the UPS package is tattered when he picks it up. No, it's not. It isn't. He's, it's completely sealed. I went back to double check that he's starting to open it in the Jeep when the sheriff walks up and then he drops it. And then they have their weird back and forth and he drives off and then goes to finish opening it when he gets home. See, cause when he gets home and goes to open it, he looks at the kind of partially open package and he's like perplexed by it. Yeah. But he did that himself. We saw it happen on screen. I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, you were talking about how the movie started with him talking to himself. Uh, he's talking him- to himself very early in the movie when he's uh, doing his first bit of writing in the cabin with the dog and he kind of deletes what he had because it's not good. He's, he's talking to himself already. Now, he's it's a lot more... It's a, mo- a lot more innocent, like something like, oh, you're you're doubting yourself. Oh, is it any good? No, I should, you know, I need, but 
Yeah. But he he's talking to himself as soon as we see him in the movie outside of the motel. That's true. Now, says, that I didn't I didn't take that as talking to himself. Yeah. Simply because Just I don't inner see monologue. his yeah, I don't see his lips moving. That very much felt like him just in the decision okay. process of if he goes in. I'll give you when, that one. When he gets to the typewriter in, I don't know, it's only like the next scene or the scene after that, he's yeah. definitely talking to himself. And again, it's played off as a lot more innocent. It's a lot more just kind of happening, but it's definitely there and it just gets progressively worse as the movie goes. Do you appreciate it? it's okay i guess yeah same like uh, it's just fine and i feel like it's supposed to have more of an impact but i don't know um inside the cabin mort puts shooter's hat on i heard something fall over on your end and i want to think that was you falling over because of how stupid this is (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> but if you didn't figure it out by now as soon as he puts the hat on there's no hope for you if you don't get it a pure psychotic break at this point and the audience is just force fed that John Shooter doesn't exist and this is all in Mort's head um, I don't even know what to say about this scene it's bad <laughs> it's really bad <laughs> I don't like, you know, okay. So, you know, when we we see two different versions of Mort on screen and one is talking to the other, trying to convince him of what's going on. And our Mort just starts saying raw over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I always hated that. Um, it's because of his kid. I know my pre-verbal, uh, that's what his son would do when he was distressed. And I, I, I think it's a neat idea. It does not work on screen. It does not work at all. No. Um, thoughts on the cracking plaster of the wall? I guess that's his mentality breaking even further. I, it's so fucking heavy-handed. I don't think we need any of this symbolic, no, almost supernatural don't. stuff. Then, like, the, the mirror, his image in the mirror. I mean, it looks cool, but it doesn't have a point really any point that it could potentially have oh he's completely backwards now we we got that yeah. already yeah we fucking know we've known for over an hour <laughs> like we don't need to see this surprise us make it feel like this movie was worth watching it's, but that's 2023 viewing versus 2004 viewing fine make it so that the hat is supernatural <laughs> <laughs> the hat was haunted all along. He was totally fine until he put the hat on. And it drove him insane, just like it drove Shooter insane. Well, we see him put the hat on because it has to break down how he came up with the character over time. Fuck. Yes, we get it. He committed all of the acts while in the Shooter mindset. Great. You don't need to explain it to us because we already know. The crime of this movie for me, Sandro, is that <laughs> it's a brilliant fucking story that's poorly told. <laughs> and ironically enough, it's about a writer. It's just ouch. <sighs> One thing I will say that was good that I've missed every time I've watched this movie up until now is that when 
Amy arrives at the cabin. There are pages blowing around the grounds. Yep. He had clearly cut out the pages or yep. ripped them out right there. Yeah. And those are the pages from the magazine. Another crime in this movie is that Maria Bello is not used nearly enough. She's great. She is one of the strongest actors in this film, and she gets a tiny percentage of screen time. The Amy character is so important to Mort's psyche, and she is almost barely on screen. I would like to see more more of Amy, less of Ted. I don't think we need Ted. We could have just seen a guy in that motel room with Amy at the beginning of the movie. Bam, that character's gone. Yeah. Give it give us more Amy. She deserved to have a, a better, more fleshed out character. Um What are your thoughts about the reveal of the word shooter being carved into the walls all over the cabin? Really bad. Like really, really bad. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh shoot her. Yeah. And in my mind, she's already dead and he shot her in that motel room. Yeah. Which makes sense because he did have a loaded gun, even though he tries to convince himself it wasn't loaded. He almost murdered Amy and Ted. Well, what if he even al- made more almost, he almost murdered them? And yeah. this was part of his mental break. That would make so much more sense. And then, quite possibly, the worst fucking part of this entire film is the reveal of Mort in full shooter character. <laughs> fucking laughable why it's so bad it is so bad you you can't honestly say you enjoyed this i'm split on it okay (laughs) see i was expecting that no you weren't yes i was no you weren't yeah there's no way you like this i get your joke but there's no way you enjoyed this i don't like johnny depp playing the character of shooter (laughs) Because it sucks. It's terrible. And he doesn't do a good job at it. Well, no, you've had such a better shooter this entire movie. Yeah. It's like they're actively trying to make things worse. You know what they should have done is had uh, John play shooter here and just see Johnny's reflection when he walks by like a mirror or something. Then you can still have the actor play it. You still get the effect that it's the same character. But yeah. you can have a much better, uh, I don't want to say actor, because Johnny Depp is great. He's just, he, is he good, shouldn't yeah. be playing this role. That's just me. No, I'm with you, man. So, Mort attacks Amy and fucks her up real bad. Ted arrives and takes a shovel to the face, which Shooter actually referenced much earlier in the film. I did appreciate that. Yeah, you strike me as a guy who's looking to hit somebody in the head with a shovel. Yeah. Uh, and Mort decapitates both of them, which, yeah, uh, okay. Sometime later, I guess months, I don't know. Mort enters the convenience store diner as happy as can be. Yeah, everybody acts incredibly nervous around him. This is a pretty good setup for something that's never delivered. The sheriff visits Mort at the cabin and tells Mort he knows what he did and he'll find the bodies then tells him not to visit town anymore. How? How does he know what he did? What did he? What does the sheriff think Mort did? 
I guess, killed these people. But at the same time, how does he, how is he innocent or not in jail if they know this? Like, yeah, you either know or you don't. <clears throat> I, I don't understand. Yeah. Also, if there's no actual investigation into Morat, why would you make the claim that you know what he did? Do you know who Ken is? No. If Ken's missing, there's no connection to Mort, really. Tom Greenleaf, does he just think that Mort killed Tom for no reason? Uh, Amy and Ted's disappearance, I guess he might have heard about that, but has no real reason to believe that Mort's guilty. Like, we have no reason to believe that the sheriff would think that Mort is guilty of anything. Although, I guess Ted and Amy's cars, well, he probably just put those in the same. Uh, in the same body of water that Tom's uh, truck is in. And nobody goes in that body of water. No. <laughs> um, so, get the quote. The only thing that matters is the ending. It's the most important part of the story. The ending. And this one is very good. This one's perfect. Should have ended right on that. The whole time there are ears of corn on a plate next to Mort. Camera moves along the upper floor of the cabin out a window panning down to the ground where corn is now growing atop where the bodies have been buried. Cut to Mort biting into an ear of corn and hard cut to black. So we roll credits at the end of the movie. They fucked up that ending royally, in my opinion. How do you feel about the last few uh, seconds of this film? Was it it's effective? No, yeah, right? Bad. How would you have ended it? Uh, I think I would have honestly ended it with Mort in a psychiatric hospital and the entire events of the movie were all fabricated in his mind, town and everything, uh, after he killed the two of them in the hotel room. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. There's this very short clip of him buying products in the store at the end there. And mm -hmm. one of them is like Mort's salt. And their slogan yep. is something about rain. I can't remember. It's it's in the trivia in the IMDb. Um, yep. I went looking for it because I was like, oh, these three items are on camera very specifically. And one of them is Mort Salt. Yeah. So Mort legitimately have him in like a, like a psych ward. And there's a few things around the room that maybe like the salt hint at this whole fabrication. I got Kaiser Sozade. Um. So I would end this differently. So when we get that quote about the most important part of the story is the ending, and this one is very good, this one's perfect. As we're hearing that being spoken, okay. it transitions to the exterior of the cabin, and we see like a slew of police cars flying down that road towards it with their lights going. And like slamming on the brakes, skidding into the yard, and then fade to black. Because finally he's been caught. I think that's much better than the corn grave. Yeah. I guess, too, if they do the whole police one, that he's okay being caught now because now he's got the perfect ending. Exactly. That's all that mattered. Yep. That was a rough one, man. Eh, it wasn't that bad. It's not terrible. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, before we get into uh, our, our full opinions, though, uh, guess some numbers. How much does this movie cost? 15? 
times two plus ten. Wow. What did they spend it on outside of like, I have to imagine the only thing would have been the cast budget. Like they're really. Yeah. Wasn't a lot here. I mean, they filmed in Quebec too. So they got a bunch of decent tax credits for it. Um, But like David Kep, dude, like he had directed a fair amount. He had written so much like getting him on as, as writer director would have cost a lot. I mean, Johnny Depp, John Turturro, Maria Bello, Timothy Hutton, Charles S. Dutton. Like, these are names that will cost you a fair chunk of money. Okay. But, yeah, other than that, I, I don't know. Uh, film gross? 80? 92.9, so I'll say 93. Okay. This was right after Pirates, right? So yeah. Depp would have been super popular right now. Well, yeah, they rushed up the release so it would come out very close to that uh, that release of uh, was it the the second film or the first one? I think anyway. the first one. But yeah. so yeah, they 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 knew what they were doing, trying to make as much money as they could, and it worked for them. I mean, they they doubled the budget of the film more than. Uh, but overall reactions, what do you think people are giving it on IMDb? It feels like a solid six, like a six point five, maybe. Yes, it is 6.5. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, one thing I have to say about Rotten Tomatoes is that apparently people f- have been thinking that when we give the percentage on the tomato meter or the audience score, that's the rating they gave the movie. That's not the case. It's ha- the percentage of the reviews that were positive. Yeah. So the critics over Rotten Tomatoes, percentage of positive reviews. I'm going with a 40 for some reason. 46. Oh, okay. Audience? 58. 65. Okay. So it, pretty much in line with for, IMDb. Exactly, yeah. And and understandable. Um, I guess it's award time. You betcha. So who did you have for your... Uh, Least favorite or worst character? Uh, I went with Ken Karsh. Uh, Charles S. Dutton. Um, I love the actor. Absolutely adore him. Uh, but the entire time, it felt like he was phoning it in in this movie. And I've never seen him do that before. He's also a terrible private investigator. He is a terrible <laughs> PI. <laughs> that would definitely go down to uh, character as opposed to performance. Because yeah. what is this character? He sucks. But yeah, like everything about that one character in this movie felt out of place. Everybody else kind of made sense. Except for Ken. So I went with uh, went with him. What about you? Ted. Really? I just okay. didn't like him. There's one part where he even says to to Mort, I said I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's enough, man. <laughs> like, like, there is a number of, of unlikable characters in this. Uh, but there's just something about this guy that just didn't sit well with me. Okay. Interesting. I'm not saying I, that I, he's he's guilty or or not innocent for the most part, but... You have to understand whether you knew or not, you were with a married woman and you just act so flippantly about it. I think that's the main reason I didn't like him. 
Yeah. That's, because he's I, like... Because he's like what? Well, I, sorry, you were, you started saying something. I didn't know. Well, uh, I, I enjoyed it because he was saying, or I think maybe it was Amy saying that, like, the marriage was over before she met Ted. Yes, but Ted should still understand the situation he put himself into. And there's way too many times where he just expects Johnny Depp to be, like, over it. Or yeah. what, not blame him and that he should only blame Amy? That's very chivalrous of you. Like, I don't know. It's just this character just didn't seem to handle the situation well in my mind. Okay. I uh, mean, do we? Do I need to say who my favorite is? Do we have the same one? Is this pretty obvious? Oh, yeah. It's definitely John Dunhill as Tom Greenleaf. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. There's nobody else other than John Turturro as John Shooter. Thank you. Yes, that's who I had. This guy, the performance is phenomenal. Uh, we even spoke during the review, or at least I did, about how I would have loved for them to have used him like towards the end of the movie, just so that yeah. we had more camera time with him. Yep. Agreed. Um, I, I already said my piece about him uh, earlier in the episode. A perfect character. A wonderful villain, disturbing, commanding, uh, just captivating. Uh, there, there is nobody who compares to John Turturro's acting in this movie, and there's no more solid character. There's no more of a solid character than John Shooter in this film. I loved it. Okay, uh, what did you have for your favorite or most memorable line? Uh, the first time we see Shooter. When uh, Mort opens the door, he's just kind of like, what? And she goes, you stole my story. That's how we're introduced to the character. Um, every time I think of Secret Window, that line is the first thing I think. I love it. It's delivered expertly. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. It, I mean, it's it has a lot of weight to it, yet at the same time, it, it has no weight to it because it's all about context. But it is delivered in a haunting way that it sticks with me. What about you? So this is probably going to confuse you and it kind of confuses me too. Um, it's my favorite line because I probably won't even think about it again after we move on from this episode. Mm -hmm. But when uh, Mort is talking to Ken and he reveals that him and Amy had broken up uh, six months prior and Ken's like, I'm sorry. And he asks Mort, was it amicable and Mort just says in the most like crass way not remotely <laughs> there's just something about the delivery of that line that just i don't know i really liked it you seem lately to be a big fan of um reactions for memorable lines or favorite lines it's okay. interesting no it's just just a, a point um there's one line that i was debating picking that I thought you might have as well. And that was, I just find it an interesting line of Mort saying, I'm sure in time their deaths will be a mystery even to me because it made me ask a lot of questions. Yeah. He's going to lose his mind so much that he doesn't yeah. remember any of this. But the line from the story is I'm sure in time her death will be a mystery even to me. So he's altered it to fit his reality because he's also murdered Ted. I, I really dug that. Okay, fair enough. Um, memorable scene. I had him fighting the mirror in the shower. 
<laughs> I don't know why. I really liked it. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Interesting choice. I never would have guessed that. It's just something about his mental state at that moment that just made it very entertaining. Very good. All right. And man, did he he got he got all of that mirror. Oh, he fucked that mirror up real good. <laughs> yeah. You? Um I mean, you should know what it is right away. Uh him losing his watch trying to get rid of the car. No, I get it. Nailed it. <laughs> no, it was uh our first appearance of shooter. Of course it is. I don't know what it is, but Totoro just swept me off my feet in this movie. I love that man in this. Fair. Yeah. All right. So why don't we get into our final thoughts on the movie? I feel like you are not going to be super favorable, but let's hear. Um, I loved this movie for a long time. Okay. And I still love it for what I remember it being. But as I said earlier, it's impossible to watch this movie and not look for the twist at the beginning. You know it's there. We've been conditioned for it. We've both talked about this. And if you're doing that, the movie is not entertaining. It's not enjoyable, except for John Turturro. Okay. Um, and, and that's a massive problem. Because when this movie came out, I thought it was fantastic. And everybody who I know all watched it at that time, they also loved it. Because it was fresh. It was surprising. It was just fun. It was a, a really good mystery, but it was a thriller. Had big name actors in it. It had everything you wanted. Based off Stephen King. Everyone loves Stephen King. It was such a fun movie. Today's method of filmmaking and the stories we expect nullifies all of that. And ruins it. So it's a difficult one to watch now. Um, but if if you can avoid the rut of what film is today, I think you would really enjoy this movie. I'm going to recommend it. Because to the few who can do that, they're really going to enjoy it. And the multitudes of people that can't will probably have fun making fun of it. But it is a good movie. It's just a movie out of its time now. Um, I, I do enjoy it. Um, I want to go back and reread the story, but the acting is solid. The story's solid. The score, like I already talked about is fantastic. Uh, it, it's the setting of the cabin in the woods. You know, I love that. It, it's going to hook me every time. It's going to win me over. Is it the best? No. Is it a great effort? 100%. Yeah. I'd, Definite recommend. Check it out. You might like it. You might hate it, but you should at least see it once. Uh, what, what's your take on it? So this one's going to be a little weird. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally expect that. There, there's no way it won't be. Despite what we say at the beginning of the episode and unlikely to anybody who's gotten this far ahead, you need to watch this movie, but spoil it before you watch it. Okay. <laughs> because... Watching it the second time, knowing the twist full out and not having to waste my mental energy trying to figure it out and just appreciate little things like the wave that Shooter had to, to Greenleaf and stuff like that made it a lot more enjoyable to me. I actually thought that this movie was better on a rewatch than the first watch. And I feel like if you haven't seen it before... 
just spoil the ending and then watch the movie. And <laughs> then I would recommend it. I know it sounds weird. I know. But it actually gives you a whole different appreciation for the movie. And I think it's the appreciation you should have versus a fresh viewing. I think you're right. Um, it's it's a very unique take on how to view this film. But I think, yeah, you will get the most out of a, a single viewing if you already know the story going into it. Yep. Interesting. All right, so that's our thoughts on The Secret Window. If you would like to share your thoughts, you can hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter at BSBargainBin, BSBargainBin.com. Uh, you can find our merch there too as well, Facebook, yada, yada, yada. Ben. Yo. Next week, we are doing a fan pick. What are we doing? Uh, well, this uh, this listener pick is from Dave Derek Sagul Bauer, currently residing in Australia, and who wants us to do Full Moon Features 1991 vampire film, Subspecies. In the dark past, humans were their prey, and blood was their life. I'm Radu. Find him before killing begins again. Now in modern day Transylvania, eternal evil has reawakened. I'm afraid for you. Species, starring Michael Watson and Angus Scrim of Phantasm. Subspecies, the night has fangs. Until next time, have a good one. All the best. 